The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Wow. Let's pray. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to us and help us to see Jesus. Help us to see him with the eyes of our hearts, to see his beauty, his glory, his worth, his value. And help us to be overwhelmed, amazed, and in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? It's a heavy question, I know, but it's real life. Have you ever had somebody you trust, someone close to you, someone who was supposed to be there for you, provide for you, be kind to you? Have you ever had them sell you off, trade you out, treat you as nothing? It's painful, isn't it? It might be the worst. Except for this, have you ever been the betrayer? Have you ever been the one someone was counting on, trusting in, looking to? And you broke the promise, you let them down, you turned away, you sold them off. There's no shame like having betrayed I bring that up today because this morning we get to look at the betrayal of Jesus and we get to see him endure it and we're going to see why he did it and what that has to do with our betraying and being betrayed and how it heals us how it heals us. We are in Matthew 26 this morning, and obviously we're starting a larger story. We're going to do six scenes from verses 1 to 46. We're going to see the events of Jesus' betrayal, what it means for us. But as we get there, I just want to think about one idea with you. Wouldn't you agree that the more valuable or important the relationship, the worse the betrayal. Maybe that seems obvious. The more valuable or important the relationship, the worse the betrayal. Someone you only met once can only hurt you so much, right? You cut me off in traffic. Um, no big deal. But your lover, your parent, your close friend, that kills. The, the more valuable... Or important, the relationship, the worse the betrayal. I bring that up because we're going to see juxtaposed back and forth over and over again throughout this passage the idea of value and then betrayal. Value and then betrayal. It shows us the value of Jesus and it shows us just how awful the betrayal was. So six scenes working through the story, try to understand what happened and see what it means for us. So let's do scene, scene one. 
verses 1 to 5. I hope you can follow along. I'm on 831, 832 in your chair Bibles. Look at verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, and then he goes on to predict what will happen in the coming days. Right? And you see three major things. Who is Jesus? How does he refer to himself? What do you see? Son of man. Okay, let me just tell you, that, that's value. Then the Son of Man will be what? Delivered up to be crucified. Crucified. <laughs> that is what you do to the worst. So we have the value of Jesus, and he's going to be delivered up to ultimate betrayal, the ultimate debasing. And when's it going to happen, Jesus says? You know, verse 2, that after two days, the what? The Passover is coming. The Passover explains the purpose. Value, betrayal, purpose. Why? Why is this happening? How can this happen? What does it mean? Value, betrayal, purpose. You know, a little bit of context this week, it's hard to imagine how intense this week has been for Jesus. Beginning of the week, he enters the city of Jerusalem with just on the, the, the wake of crowds singing his praises. Jerusalem was packed full because it's Passover. It's the biggest feast of the year. So every Yahweh worshiper who can make it is here in the city. Some ancient historians, we don't know the real numbers, but it's like a million people or more. Just just packed. So they're all here for this celebration. And Jesus enters the city and the crowds are just saying, this is the one. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So his fame is just as high as it can be. Look, there he is. And yet, instead of destroying the Romans, which is what they were all hoping he would do, he went to the temple and kicked those tables over. Judges the temple. Then the religious leaders of his day, they, they hate him. They can't stand what he's doing. He's been debating them all week. And then finally some, some teaching was of, his, of his disciples about when he's going to return. So this super intense week where the, the whole city is just on a razor's edge over Jesus. The crowd seems to love him. The religious leaders hate him and want to kill him. The disciples are confused. And so now here we get this picture of Jesus Kind of at an intimate moment, he's at Simon's house with his disciples, and he makes this prediction, and he says these three things. Even though this week has come, you all think I'm going to take over the Romans right now. Here's what's going to happen. The Son of Man will be delivered over to be crucified on Passover. Think with me then just a little bit of the value of Jesus. Who is he as the Son of Man? You know, we've watched his life through the book of Matthew. He's the most loving person to ever live. So compassionate, so kind. So kind, so loving to the down and earth. So strong, so courageous, so unflappable. I love Jesus when I read about him in the Gospels. He's the son of man. That looks back to prophecy in Daniel 7. He's the promised king who's going to rule the nations. He is the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. So valuable. And then we know he's the eternal son of God who took on flesh to bring his people to the Father. What's the value of Jesus? Can you even see it? Are you overwhelmed? So valuable. And yet what's going to happen to him? Betrayed, delivered, 
traded out to crucifixion. You almost can't, I mean, we're used to this, right? We've heard this story a couple times. You just can't bear to see the Son of Man, the promised King, the Son of God, at the hands of Roman centurions, putting spikes in him in his naked body and hanging him to a piece of wood for everybody to mock at him. You just can't, you can't get it. Delivered up to betrayal on Passover. The purpose. You know, it's interesting to see in verses 3 to 5, the religious leaders agree. Look, the chief priests, the elders, all the people gather in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they're plotting together in, in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Verse 5, what did they say? Not during the feast. How come? Well, because maybe there's a million and a half people who really like Jesus. So if we do this and they don't like that, we're cooked, right? We're done. So it's all just political expediency for them. But what's interesting is Jesus said, I'm going to be delivered over to be crucified when? At Passover. The chief priests are happy to agree with uh, two of those things. Yeah, we would love for you to be delivered over and crucified, but not when? Not at Passover. See the contradiction on the timing? Who's in charge? When is Jesus going to be delivered over to be crucified? You know, the, chief, the chief priest said, not on Passover. Jesus says, on Passover. When will it happen? On Passover. Because it's on purpose. It's on purpose. It gives me chills. It blows me away. We see his value, we see him betrayed, and we see this, there's a story here, there's a plan. It's going somewhere. It will be at Passover. So ultimate value will be ultimately betrayed at Passover for a reason. That's scene one. Scene two is verses six to 13. It occurs as Jesus is staying with his friends in the evening Good verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, poured it out on his head. Simon the leper. How would you like that as a title? Um, I guess something we know about Simon was <laughs> he was a leper. Now, what's really strange is you don't usually go to a leper's house for dinner. How come? Because you'll get leprosy. <laughs> Why are they at Simon the leper's house for dinner? He doesn't have leprosy anymore. Who healed him? Jesus. I wish we knew Simon's story, but you know what Jesus does a lot with lepers? I mean, you don't want to be a leper, number one, because you don't want to be infected and have your body parts fall off. Number two, you don't want to be a leper because no one will ever touch you again. No, not even a polite side hug. No high fives, no handshakes. It's lonely. You know what Jesus would do with lepers? Touch them. Put his hands right on them. I bet he did that with Simon, and he healed him. How does Simon feel about Jesus? Loves to have him over for dinner. <laughs> loves to be with him. There's somebody else who loves Jesus. It's this woman. I'm not sure who it is. Some people say we know. Some people say we don't. And Matthew doesn't seem to care, so we won't worry about it this morning. The point is, a woman came 
with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. Now, it wouldn't be strange for, if you were at a rich person's house, for them to anoint you with a little perfume, because as we know, you know this, is the, this is before the days of Old Spice. Um, so you can imagine the dude in his one robe walking through the streets of... Right? But even that, knowing that, this is over the top. She has this alabaster flask, so it's, it's hard, and there's this expensive ointment in it. We know it was worth about a year's worth of work. So go ahead and add that up in your mind. A year's worth of money for you. And imagine it's all cash in your hands. What are you, you going to do with this? Year's worth of work... And the thing is, with this alabaster flask, to get it, you know, it doesn't have a convenient screw-on lid. This hadn't been invented yet. So you have to break it open. And when you break it open, you're using it all right now. This is it. One-time thing. So some commentators say that a lot of times these alabaster flasks would sit on the shelf for generation after generation. Because I can't use it. Because then it'll be gone. And this woman comes in breaks this thing open and pours the whole mess out right on Jesus' head. So lavish. At some point, maybe awkward. A year's worth of wealth poured out at one moment on Jesus. What do you think of this? What do you think of it? We know what the disciples think of it. Look at verse 8. When the disciples saw it, they said, Wow, isn't it amazing how this woman is worshiping Jesus? No, that's not what they said. Verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were what? Indignant. Frustrated. Disgusted. Why this? Look at that word. Why this what? You wasted it. You wasted this money. Pouring it out on Jesus. We could have sold it and given it to the poor. Isn't it interesting they could look down on the worship of Jesus for the sake of ministry? We could have sold this. We could have fed the poor. Look what Jesus says. Does Jesus say, hey lady, you're over the top. Sell this and give it to the poor. Look at verse 10. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a what? It's a beautiful thing to me. It's beautiful. It's excellent. It's awesome. I love it. I receive it. I accept it. I'm in. She's right. The poor you always have with you, you won't always have me. Is Jesus into serving the poor? Sure he is. He's quoting the Bible. The poor you always have worth you, so you should always serve him. He's quoting from Exodus. Serve him. But something's different here about this moment. You will not always have me. I'm here, Jesus says. I'm here. And how does, for this woman, who's the ultimate value? What does she love the most? She's had this treasure for however how long, and she's been keeping it and saving it. But now she sees something better. And who is it? It's Jesus, and she's like, I want to I just pour this on him. He's the best. I love him. He can have it all. I don't ever see the need to see a penny of this. I don't need to wear any of it. I just want him to have it, because he's the best. He's just the best. And Jesus says, 
you're right. I am the best. That's what you should do. That's what you should do. Wow. Jesus is worthy and deserving of lavish worship. What does this mean for you? Have you ever had an experience like this? What does this look like in your life? May you've wanted to have an experience like this. I just want to pour it out for you, Jesus. What's it? I don't know. Something. The crowd all around the ladies like, oh, gosh, really? Aren't you over the top? Aren't you super religious now? Jesus is like, I love it. What does this mean for you? What kind of worship does he encourage from you? And don't you want to give it? It's ironic. Uh, in the Bible, when there's anointing, you're usually anointing a king. He's the son of man. He's a king. Or you're anointing a priest, a leader. Jesus says, verse 12, in pouring, in pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. There you have it again. The valuable one is going to be in a tomb. Verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, evidently Jesus is a prophet, because look what we're doing 2,000 years later in Southern California. We're talking about her. What is the point of this scene? Jesus is infinitely valuable and worthy of lavish worship deserving of it. Well, if we've seen his, val his value in scene two, we see the betrayal in scene three. Look at verses 14 to 16. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? We know from the Gospel of John that Judas took care of the money for the poor and that he would often take care of himself with the money for the poor, what's Judas' value? Money. Anybody in here ever value money more than Jesus? So this just seems, this moment seems to just be the breaking point for Judas. Maybe it was Jesus receiving lavish worship. When you don't, I used to sell knives one summer. I'll never do it again. Nightmare summer. One of the funny things was that one of my, my boss who would help us sell knives, he was so passionate about knives. And at some point you're like, you're strange. You're awkward. Your love for knives is making me feel awkward. Have you ever been around someone who loves something so much and whenever they're loving it so much, you're like, you're freaking me out. You love it too much. Judas couldn't handle this woman's worship of Jesus because he does not love Jesus like this. And when he sees her loving Jesus like this, he's disgusted. Moreover, he likes money. And maybe he heard Jesus say, anointing me for burial. And that's when Judas says, you're not going to do what I was hoping you would do. You know, Judas is riding this train probably because he's hoping Jesus will be king on the throne. And Judas will be able, as a high administrator in the kingdom, he'll be able to make some 
money, have some power. And when Jesus says, I'm going to die, and she just anointed me for burial, Jesus says, I'm out. I'm going to make what I can make while I can make it. So he goes to the priest. He knows what they want. What will you give me if I deliver him to you? What did they give him? They paid him what? Verse 15 at the end. 30 pieces of silver. In Exodus 21, 32, you know, if you want to do Bible study by yourself at home, look up all the references to Exodus in this chapter. In Exodus 21, 32, do you know what 30 shekels of silver is? It's the price of a slave. This is an insult. What will you give me for Jesus? He's about the same worth as a slave. Betrayal. It's not even that much money. It's betrayal. The valuable one is being betrayed, treated like trash. Do we ever treat Jesus like a slave? Is it common in modern Christianity to say, Jesus, I will believe in you as long as you give me what I want. Serve me. But if not, to hell with you. That's what's happening here. And I am thinking of the ways I have sold Jesus out. I wonder if you can relate. So Jesus' words are coming true. The valuable one, the Son of Man, is being betrayed. When? At Passover, scene four. Passover shows the meaning. It's the longest scene for us today. It's verses 17 to 29. Passover shows the meaning of the betrayal. So Jesus and his disciples are going to celebrate the Passover meal together. You'll remember that the Passover feast is a celebration to remember God's deliverance of Egypt from... Let me do that one over. Remember God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. We call it the Exodus. Israel was in slavery to Egypt. God delivered them. So the defining moment of this Exodus delivery was the sacrifice of the lamb. Strange. God's wrath was coming on Egypt for their evil, and yet Israel was not exempt Even though they're slaves, they're evil too. And so Moses, the leader, said, okay, strange thing, sacrifice the lamb, paint the blood on your door, and then when that wrath comes, it will pass over you. You'll be saved. That's the meal they're going to celebrate. So now look at verses 17 to 19. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want to eat the Passover? And then Jesus gives this kind of cryptic line, verse 18. Go into the city, certain man say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Isn't this funny? We're not told so many details. They probably had more details, but still, they had to go into the city, walk up to the guy and say, "Um, Jesus says, his time is at hand. And we're going to have the Passover at your house, okay? And the guy says, yeah, absolutely. Isn't that funny? Who's in charge? Jesus. That's why this is in here. Matthew doesn't tell us everywhere Jesus ever ate dinner. He tells us this one because Jesus is in charge. And what does he say about Passover? 
It's my time. My time is at hand. See, Passover has the clue to the meaning and the purpose of this betrayal. The most valuable one is going to be horribly betrayed. Why? Passover will show you. Passover is his time. The chief priest said, not during the feast, Jesus says, exactly during the feast. It's my time. We see again during dinner, betrayal and value side by side. Look at verses 20 to 23. Can you imagine the, the tension here? Jesus has been with these guys for three years. They've gone through the wars together. Foxhole friends. He loves them. They love each other. There's fellowship here. And at the same time, there's this undercurrent of betrayal. The stink, the stench of betrayal. So Jesus is eating with them. Verse 21, as they're eating, he says, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. If you've been betrayed, do you remember when you first realized it the shock the pain the horror Jesus knows it he mentions it one of you will betray me verse 22 they're very sorrowful uh, you know maybe confused you know 11 of them aren't planning on anything what do you mean then in verse 23 Jesus says the one who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me you ever had uh, uh, ancient or not ancient eastern food a lot of times you'll have a kind of bread and there's a big bowl, right? And you just, it's this way in Africa, it's this way in a lot of cultures. You, you've got a big bowl, we're all sharing the bowl. So it's not weird that he, he wasn't just like, here's my personal cup. And he handed somebody and the guy was like, you know, stuck his hand in the cup. It's not how, that's, that's not the scene. The scene is, it's a Eastern way of eating. There's a big bowl, we're all sharing it. And so we would all dip in to eat. And so the idea is, table fellowship if you ate together especially over a long period of time there was a lo- there's a bond of loyalty there is a unification this meant to come out when we eat the lord's supper we're unified together we eat of the same bread together and so when jesus is saying the one who dips his hand when the dish with me will betray me he's calling it out he means we're bonded we're supposed to be friends and you still you're going to sell me out He's saying, he's saying, look what we've been through together, and you're still going to sell me out. Verses 24 to 25, the Son of Man goes as is written of him. So again, is this random? Is this accident? No, nope. it's part of the plan. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if he'd never been born. This is awful. This is evil. This is wicked. Judas will regret it literally forever. Look what Judas says in verse 25. Judas, who would betray him, answers, what does he say? Is it I, Rabbi? You said it. Can you imagine that moment? Judas looking at Jesus, knowing, pretending, Jesus looking at Judas, knowing, not pretending. So painful, so evil, value betrayed. And here's where we see the meaning. Verses 26 to 29. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave thanks to the disciple and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink it all of you. It's the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, you and I, we are thinking of the Lord's Supper, aren't we? That's good. That's important. That's where this came from. But think just of this moment first. Because this would all be shocking. Again, what are they celebrating as they eat together? Passover. They're looking back to how God saved them. They were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them, made them children through the Exodus. And Jesus, as they celebrate remembering the Exodus, as they celebrate the Passover, which is the highlight of the Exodus, says something so strange. Here, take it and eat it. Remember what, no. This is my body. What's going to happen to him? Broken. Torn. He takes the cup. This is my blood of the covenant. And it's all under this umbrella of Exodus. What's the new Exodus? The ultimate Exodus. What Jesus is doing here. His body will be torn for their deliverance. His blood will be shed for the new covenant that brings forgiveness. You know, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant said, obey God's law and you'll be right with God. Obey God's law and you'll be right with God. It's awesome. God's law is good and God's word is true. But what's the problem with the Mosaic covenant idea of things? Obey God's law and you'll be right with God. What's your problem? I know what my problem is. I don't obey God's law. The new covenant says... I'll obey God's law, and you can be righteous. I'll do it for you. I'll be poured out for you. And this cup, my blood, will bring you forgiveness. That, the, the lambs that they killed and put on their doorposts, those were looking to something different, weren't they? What were those lambs looking to? Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood saves us from the wrath of God. Jesus is the one who brings the new exodus, the new deliverance. And look what he says in verse 29. I tell you, I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Takes a drink and then says, I'm done. Until what's going to happen? I will take you to the promised land. I will take you to the promised land. We will be there. I will accomplish it. We will drink again in the kingdom. I will save you from slavery. I will take you home. Hope, joy, deliverance. Why is Jesus betrayed? Why is the most valuable one delivered up? To deliver you from slavery. To bring you to the kingdom. To save you. He was betrayed for our deliverance. Scene 5 takes us to the moment Judas has been waiting for. Back to the gardens on the Mount of Olives. They would spend a lot of time here. So here they are. It's their kind of um, intimate place to hang out. Not only that, it's evening. They're away from crowds. So it's a perfect time for betrayal. This is the section that gets me the most. Verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what do they do? They finish their Passover and then they sing together. That's, uh, they probably sang one of the Psalms. 
And as they're walking, I mean, can't you, can't you feel the atmosphere? There's a, there's a chumminess to it on one level, a fellowship. This, this, this whole moment has been a culminating week of all of his ministry. And they've gone through so many things together. Remember when you left your boats? Remember, remember when he rose that person from the dead? Remember that crazy demon? We were all so scared of him, he just cast him out. And they just celebrated Passover together. They're going to their spot. And Jesus says to them, you will all fall away from me because of me. You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd. The sheep of the flock will be scattered. So there's this deep fellowship followed by betrayal. And he knows it. Tonight's the night. Hundreds of years ago, the prophet said so, Zechariah 11, and Jesus says, it's always been the plan, and tonight is the night. Tonight, I'm the shepherd. I get struck, you run. I get hit, you flee. What do the disciples say when they hear this? Oh, man. They're on the high of three years of experience. We've been through this with you. I will die with you. Jesus, I'll die with you if I need to. Peter leads the conversation. What does Jesus say to him? Verse 34. Tonight, man, tonight before the rooster crows, you're selling me out three times. Three times you will betray me. All the disciples said the same. Judas was the worst betrayer, a different betrayer, an unrepentant betrayer. But all the disciples were what? Betrayers. They all sold him out. How do you respond when people betray you? I know how I want to respond. This is what kills me. Jesus is getting betrayed to save the ones who betrayed him. Verse 32 is so amazing. You guys are going to strike me tonight. You're all going to leave me tonight. But it's okay. After I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. I'll find you again. I'll bring you in again. I'll keep you again. You're my guys, even though you're betraying me, even though you're selling me out. I'll be loyal to you. I love you. I'll keep you. This wrecks me. This is the hardest part because this is so me. This is so me. Can you identify with this? Have you abandoned Jesus at some point in your life, in some way in your life, in some place in your life? What does this mean for your story? And look at how Jesus responds to those who have betrayed him. He's getting betrayed to save them. He's betrayed for the betrayers. And he will bring them in again. Last scene for today. Scene six. We've seen again and again the themes, haven't we? Value. Betrayal. The purpose of it. Now we get to the top of the mountain as we see the only one who knows value and never betrays. It's the prayer we're familiar with. 
verses 36 to 46, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, those were his closest friends, he began to be what? Do you see it? Verse 37. Sorrowful and troubled. The Greek really gives it to you that he's deeply troubled. Verse 38. Then he says to him, my soul is very sorrowful even to what? To death. It's so shocking. Have you ever seen Jesus be overwhelmed reading the entire, entire gospel story? He, he's got it, right? The storm's about to kill everyone. He's sleeping. It's cool. Thousands of people are hungry. No sweat. I'll make fish and bread. The demoniac comes. You know, he's naked. He breaks every chain. The city's terrified of him. Jesus says, you know, demons leave. Never seen Jesus overwhelmed. Never once. Never seen him perturbed. Never seen him in a hurry. And here he says, I almost can't take this. I can't handle this. Even to death. And he asks them for help. Remain with me. Sit with me. I need you guys. I need you guys. And he goes to pray. You know, writers have asked the question. We know throughout, without, throughout Christian history, we've seen martyrs go to death with amazing composure. Amazing composure. You could, you could have seen it a, a month ago with the Christians who were beheaded by ISIS. They went to death with composure. Their last words were, you know, Jesus is Lord. Cut it off. Why do they have composure and Jesus is falling apart? If they can handle martyrdom, what's his problem? The answer is in the cup. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 39. Going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this what? cup pass from me. Let the cup pass. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to drink it. What is it? What is the cup? Well, remember back up in verse 27. He took a cup at dinner, and when he had given thanks, he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my, what? Blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It is not the physical pain as horrid as it will be, that has Jesus overwhelmed. It is this. Be amazed. Jesus is going to drink the wrath of his Father for millions and millions of betrayers' sins. Jesus will be treated like the worst betrayer like millions of the worst betrayers Jesus will be treated like a rapist deserves to be treated like a murderer deserves to be treated like a liar and a thief deserves to be treated he will be treated like the worst dictator deserves to be treated he will be treated like all of the of the globe's worst sins deserve to be treated. And not just one evil person's life, millions and millions of people's lives. He will be treated like their sins deserve. In one afternoon, in one moment, he will face his father's 
wrath. The Father, he is known and enjoyed and loved forever. The reason martyrs can go to death confident is because Jesus is with them. God is with them. The reason Jesus is overwhelmed is because Jesus will say, My Father, why have you forsaken me? He will be treated like a betrayer. So overwhelming to think of. Jesus can save us from the wrath of God because he's going to endure the wrath of God in our place. Are you amazed? I'm amazed. Why does he do it? Look again at that prayer. My Father, if it will be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what? As you will. What matters to Jesus? His Father matters. The value of his Father and his Father's will. You remember the temptation? Satan's always like, if you're really the Son of God, do all this. And the devil's saying to Jesus, God's not your Father. You can't trust him. You can't love him. Every time Jesus says, I follow the Father. I love the Father. I'm faithful to the Father. You know, Jesus is the only one in the whole world who's seen real value and has been loyal and faithful to it perfectly. He sees the value of his Father. And if the Father says, take the cross to save the people, Jesus says, your will be done. You see, the woman poured out her perfume in lavish worship. Jesus will pour out his life in lavish worship to his Father. He knows what's valuable, and he will never betray it. Verse 45, he prays, he goes back to his disciples, they sleep. He prays, they sleep. And finally it's time. Verse 45, he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. The hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. The chief priest said, let's get this guy, let's kill him, not during the feast. Jesus said, the Son of Man will be delivered up to crucifixion at Passover. It's Passover. It's time. He's delivered up. I love his response. One commentator said it had the idea of military resolve. The enemy's coming and you're not sucking on your thumb in the fetal position. You're not running the other way. You stand up and you walk to meet it. I don't know if you guys can feel what I feel in this text. He's doing it on purpose. And as it comes, he walks into it. I love him. I want to be like him. What does this mean? We're seeing here in this narrative of Jesus' betrayal that Jesus was betrayed to deliver the betrayers on purpose, his time. 
Because he is the exodus. He's the Passover lamb. He's deliverance. What should we do with this? What should we do with this as we close? Have you ever betrayed Jesus? Probably not like Judas, right? So even looking at sin, is sin more of a bad performance review? Is that what sin is? You know, you, you didn't punch your time clock card. Sin is not a bad performance review. It's a personal sellout. Sin is a betrayal. With every sin, isn't, aren't our hearts saying, God, you don't have any value? At least not as valuable as this thing I want instead. And isn't betrayal all about demeaning what's truly valuable? Sell them out. What value does Jesus deserve to have in your heart? And what value does he actually have in your heart? How have, how are we betraying him? I'll be frank, I'm a betrayer. I'm a betrayer. I've sold out. But the second thing to realize is remember the walk into the garden. They sing the song. He says, you're all going to betray me. They say, no, we won't. We're in the CRC. We don't miss church. I did my devotions. You're all going to run. But when I'm raised, I'll gather you again. (laughs) Hasn't he gathered us again? If we shared stories, you got any run and then gathered stories in here? (laughs) Yes, we do. He's gathered us up, and the beauty of his grace is that he was betrayed to to save us, the ones who have betrayed him. He was betrayed to deliver the betrayers. So let's just repent like the disciples. They were each, other than Judas, each one was fully restored. Each one was brought in. Jesus gathers the betrayers and he makes them worshipers. Just come back and let him make, let him make us whole. I think there's resources here too if you've been betrayed. If you've been betrayed, that is so deeply personal, so deeply painful. Does it help you to know that Jesus knows what that tastes like? And he knows what that feels like. He knows what it's like to be abandoned, left alone, abused, publicly shamed. He knows what it's like to hang there naked and have everyone laughing at him. And he sits with you in your experience. He knows. And not only that, I think he would say to you, I was raised. I was raised. Don't let this beat you. I rose from the dead. I heal. I win. I'm victorious. I restore. I reconcile. I forgive. There's healing there when we are betrayed in the knowledge that Jesus endured the ultimate betrayal for us. I hope that comforts you. Finally, 
We see the greatest example of Jesus in his passionate devotion and loyalty to his father. But the greatest non-divine example in the passage, who was it? The woman. She saw something even the disciples didn't see in that moment. She saw something so often we forget, we can't see. What did she see? She saw Jesus' value. She was overwhelmed with love for who he is. I think that's supposed to be an example. I think that's supposed to be me and you. Those who have been bought. The betrayers who have been restored and brought in. Let's see his value and pour ourselves out. I don't always know what that means. It has financial meaning sometimes. I'm going to pour out generously to serve Jesus' people. He's not here, so you can't pour the perfume on his head. Maybe it means when you sing in church, you engage. Now, God gives us each different musical enjoyments and skills. Amen? You don't have to be like anyone else. In fact, don't try. In fact, that's the point. Will you quit thinking about everyone else? And think about Jesus. Let yourself engage in praise. You know, when we sing, it feels lavish or strange. Kind of like if a woman poured perfume out on his head. There's no practical result. We didn't feed the poor while we were singing or whatever. But we're expressing our praise to the one who's so valuable to us. So if you want to peek your hand up to sing, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Engage your heart. Whatever it is, let's remember this. Jesus was betrayed to deliver the betrayers. So let's repent like the disciples and worship like the woman because we have found that which is truly valuable. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so beautiful and so awesome and there's no one like you and we're ashamed because we've betrayed you and we're so humbled that you would gather us in and keep us, that you bring us back. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you that you don't just let us go when we run. Jesus, you were betrayed for our sake to deliver us, to bring us to yourself. You'll finish the work. You rose. You'll return. We're going to drink that wine with you one day in the kingdom. You've bought us. We belong to you. Have your place in our hearts. Have your place in our passions. Have your place in our minds. Show us. Let us figure it out what it means to lavishly worship you like that woman because you're so worthy of it. You're so wonderful. And Lord, help us to be more like you, more loyal. Help us to... To not betray you, to not sell you out, to be, but to be faithful, not because we're scared of your anger, but because we're so amazed by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.